I love to hear good sermons. Today, in our age, that may be a weird thing, may be a strange thing, but I enjoy hearing good sermons, great sermons. Uh, Now, I'll just tell you, because of my job, I don't get to hear very many of them. I work on Sundays. But I can remember sermons over the course of my life, maybe you can as well, that actually changed me, that actually changed how I saw, that changed how I understood. I remember sermons where I left the service and I had a greater knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ or I had a greater love for our Lord Jesus Christ and I was different in just an hour's time than I was coming into that service. I believe preaching the word of God has that potential and can have that impact. And I love to hear a great sermon. Well, do you ever think I'd love to have heard Peter preach. I'd love to hear Peter preach when he was there and the multitudes got saved. That's what the Bible says. Can you imagine what that was like? Can you imagine the power of that? Can you imagine uh, what it was to be a part of that? Or I'd love to hear Paul preach so smart. And I'd love to hear him preach, whether he was at the synagogue or whether he was in the marketplace, how powerful, how profound that must have been. Or can you imagine Jesus? Can you imagine hearing Jesus preach the the Sermon on the Mount or maybe he was at the temple? And can you imagine what that was like to actually hear Jesus preach? Well, today in our study here in Acts, we're going to get to hear and we're going to study Paul's actual sermon delivered to the people of Athens. And I think that's a marvelous thing. I think that's an awesome thing. We're actually going to see and we're going to hear and we're going to study Paul's sermon preached to the people in Athens. And just like we were sitting in the front row or if you're a Baptist sitting in the back section, we're going to hear Paul's message today. Our message is entitled, The Gospel on Trial. The Gospel on Trial. Today our verses are Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 34. Paul's sermon on Mars Hill. Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 34. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 22, God's word says this. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens... I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. Being then the children of God, 
we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of a man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him, that man, from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. But others said, we shall hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst. But some men joined him and believed. Among them who also were Dionysus, the Agrippite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dirty Father, we come and we're thankful for you today. We truly want to worship you today. We want to exalt you today. Lord, we want to know you. And I pray that that would be the fruit of this meeting, that we would know you to a greater extent when we leave here, that we would love you in knowing you better. Lord, I pray that, that we would be faithful. Lord, I pray that we would be a blessing to you, that we would serve the cause of Christ. Lord, now I pray as we begin to study your word, as we study this sermon, I pray that you would speak to us, that it would be living and active in our hearts and our minds, that you would apply it to us this morning. I pray for somebody here that does not know you. I pray that in the preaching and the hearing of the gospel, that today might be the day of their salvation. Lord, we do worship you. We do thank you. We do praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, before we look at the sermon this morning, remember the context. Paul has been preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. That has been the context. He is on his second missionary journey, and that as his mission, that is his message. He has been preaching there is salvation by faith in the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. And so he has been proclaiming, declaring, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, also remember, as he preaches, he faces great opposition. Now be sure the reason he faces the opposition is because of the message that he preaches. And so as he preaches salvation by faith in Jesus Christ, there is opposition to the message, and so therefore there is opposition to him. Because of that, we have found that he is forced out of Thessalonica. He preaches there. He's run out of that city. We have found that he is forced out of Berea. He has preached there. He has run out of that city. And now he has made his way to Athens. In Athens, he is waiting for the rest of his group, of his traveling party. He's waiting for Timothy and Silas to catch up with him and join him there in Athens. Now, the Bible tells us as he waits, he walks around Athens and he sees the lostness of the city. He sees the false worship in that city. He sees a city that is absolutely filled with idols. Well, in response to that, we find that he begins to proclaim Jesus, the Bible says, in the synagogues and at the marketplace. And so he goes where the people are at. He sees the lostness of the city. He can't help himself. He doesn't wait for his party to get there. And he goes to the synagogue and the marketplaces, and he begins to preach and deliver the message 
of Jesus Christ. Now in verse 19, as he is in the midst of doing that, the Bible says they bring him to Areopagus. Areopagus. They take him from the marketplace, from the synagogue, and they take him to Areopagus. Now that was a big rock there in the city of Athens. It was where the council of elders met. That's where they held court. It was kind of like our senate. And so this Areopagus, it was this big rock where the council of elders, their senate met and they heard cases. They tried cases. They held court at this rock. Well, Paul goes from the synagogue and the marketplaces where religion and philosophy were frequently discussed and he's brought to the Areopagus not for an official trial, but for a public hearing of his message. Now, I want you to see this. Here at Argopolis, at this rock where the council generally met, symbolically and literally, the gospel of Jesus Christ is on trial. And I think that's a pretty interesting thing. They don't leave him in the marketplace. It's not there that they ask him to speak. But here where things would be tried and heard and decided, the gospel is symbolically and literally going to be on trial. Well, that is our context for our verses this morning. Let's begin looking at them. Verse 22. So, here we go. So, Paul stood in the midst of the Argopolis and said, Men of Athens... I observe that you are very religious in all respects. Now, I want to, I want to, right off the bat, I want to say something here. I want to point out something. The first thing is this. The Bible says in this situation, in this context, that Paul stood up in their midst. Now, I don't, I don't want us to miss that. I don't want us to, miss to move too quickly past that. Paul stood up in their midst. Friends, I want you to be very clear this morning. And right off the bat, I want to tell you what the world needed then and what the world needs now is preachers that will stand in the midst of opposition. They will stand in the midst of false teaching. They will stand in the face of persecution. They will stand today in a culture that would ridicule their message and therefore ridicule them. We need preachers. They needed a preacher that would stand and proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need preachers that will stand. We need preachers that will say, well, I'm not going to shrink back. There is one truth, and it's the truth of God's word, and they will declare faithfully that Word. Let me tell you something. They're getting few and far between. We live in a day when people shrink in. They, they cow down. They, they want to mix with the world. Paul stood in their midst. Good job, Paul. He said, men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all aspects. Now, I want you to notice here he starts by drawing them in. He starts, really notice this, by building a bridge to them. He doesn't antagonize them. He doesn't start off by picking a fight with them. He says, I've noticed that you are a very religious people. I notice 
in this city that you're a very religious city. And he starts to build a bridge to them. Verse 23. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Now, this this verse is a great verse. It's a loaded verse. See this. As Paul is walking around Athens, as he is killing time, as he's waiting on his party to join him, and as he is seeing all of these false idols, as he sees all these false temples and the statues to the false gods, some say that there were as many as 30,000 statues at this time in Athens. I thought about that. There were three times more statues in Athens than there are people in Vernon right now. As he is looking at all of this, he finds a statue, he finds an altar, and it says to an unknown God. To an unknown God. Now let me tell you what's going on here. In this city, they worshiped many gods. In this city, in an attempt to cover all of their bases, and in the fear of offending some God that they may have missed or they may have overlooked, someone made a statue to an unknown God. And they could go there and they could worship this unknown God. They could try and appease this unknown God. And in case they missed one, in case there was a God they might offend by not knowing him, they make a statue to an unknown God. Well, as Paul is traveling through Athens, He sees this statue and he seizes the opportunity. He says, I notice you have an altar to a God you don't know. And in my paraphrase, he says, let me tell you about that God. Now, I can imagine, and I want you to think about this sermon as it unfolds. I can imagine they had to be impressed with that. I I can imagine they had to, to lean in when he said that. He says, there is some God that you don't know, and I see that you're worshiping an unknown God. And they say, well, if there's a God we don't know about, by all means, tell us about him. And Paul struck a chord with them. What a sermon. What an introduction that is. Can you imagine? He has their attention. I I notice you worship an unknown God. Let me tell you about that God. And the crowd pushes in, the crowd leans in. What a sermon. Now, before we move, there's a great sentence, a very telling sentence that we want to look at. It's at the end of the verse, and it says this. What you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Here's what he says. What you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Do you know, I want you to think, do you know the issue of many people is not that they can't see God in creation, not that they don't suppose that there is a God. The issue of many people is that they are ignorant 
of God. Yes, they can see great things in creation. Yes, they suppose there must somewhere be a God. The issue of most people is they are ignorant of the truth of God. They are missing the truth of God. And so without the truth of God, when they turn inward for their answers, when they turn to the culture for their answers, or when they turn to a false teacher for their answers, they are left empty and they are ignorant of the truth of God. Well, Paul says here, that information, that truth is what I'm gonna proclaim to you. Again, listen to me this morning, church. That is why we preach the word of God. Listen to me. That is why that is the message of the church. That is why we preach the truth of the word of God and not cultural mishmash, not some feel-good nonsense that you'll hear today, not some addition or some subtraction or some distortion of the word of God. We preach the Bible, we proclaim the Bible because it is the only remedy for ignorance of God. Be sure, be sure, be sure. Our world today needs the word of God. Our world today needs the message of Jesus Christ. Our world today, as informed as it is, as much data as it has, our world today is hopeless in its ignorance of the truth of who God is. But listen to me, church, we have that truth. Paul says, here it is, what you're ignorant of. I'm about to tell you, listen, the world needs the truth of God. We have that truth. What a sermon this is. What a sermon, what an introduction. He pulls them in. He tells them, you're ignorant of the truth. Let me tell you that truth. Can you imagine as their ears perk up what a sermon it is? Verse 24. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Let me read verse 24 again. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Verse 25. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. As Paul introduces the truth of God, the God that they did not know, I want you to see this. He starts by revealing he is the God of creation. Now I want you to stay with me for just a moment. I want you to follow with me. That is a huge thing. That is a big thing. That is a big deal. As he starts to tell them about the God that they are ignorant of, the God they did not know, he starts to tell them of the God of creation. You see, folks, God's nature, God's character, God's attributes are revealed in his role as the creator. You see, as creator... He must be all-powerful. All things exist, hold together because of him. Well, if he's the creator, he must be all-powerful. Because he's the creator, he must have all wisdom. All things come from him 
And so he must have the purpose, the understanding, the wisdom behind all things. And so if he's the creator, he possesses all wisdom. Because he's the creator as, as people, he knows our purpose. He holds our purpose. Because he's the creator, it is found in him. And then I want you to listen to this. And as the creator, he alone is God. Remember, they believed in many gods. Or they believed that all things, all things were part of God. Well, I want you to see what Paul does here. If God, this God that they were ignorant of, this God that they did not know, was the creator God, then he alone must be God. He alone must be self-existent. All these other gods must have had a creator, but if this God is the creator God, he must be self-existent. He is not existent. He is not created. Because of that, he is the source of life. He is the giver of life and breath. That's what Paul says when he calls him the creator God. I want you to see this, and I want you to understand how marvelous this is. When Paul calls him the creator God, he has lifted up the Lord God Almighty above all of the faults. He has lifted him up above all of the created and he has placed him as the one true living God. That's why he's not found in temples. That's why he needs nothing from the hands of man. The truth of God, he is the creator. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He alone is God. And he declares that as he says, he is creator God. Do you see how smart that is? Do you see how wise that is in a city that's full of gods, in a city that's all has these idols all around them in very short order? He has weeded them all out and he has lifted up the one true God. What a sermon, what a message. Do you know that's why there is such an attack today on the biblical creation account? Did you know that? Let's just get it down to the bare bones. Did you know that's why there's such an attack today on the biblical creation account? Do you know that's why it matters if we can trust and defend and stand on the Bible's account of creation did you know that's why it mattered? I hear folks and they say, I actually hear preachers and they say, you know what? Creation is not a gospel issue. It's a secondary issue. It's not a primary issue. As long as we have faith in Jesus Christ, the gospel, the creation account, it is not a primary issue. Listen to me today. That is nonsense. It goes to the very truth of the nature of the God that would save by faith in Jesus Christ. It starts with the validity and the confidence and the creation account given to us by God himself. So Paul says, if you want to know the God you don't know, look to creation. He is the God. God that creates. Paul says it starts there. Verse 26. And he, the creator God, made from one man, Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, when they live, where they're going to live. Verse 27, that they would seek God. 
if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. Verse 28. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said. For we also are his children. Paul says here that God created us, he sustains us, and he has a purpose for us. That's what those three verses are saying. God creates us, he sustains us, and he has a purpose for us. Now that purpose, he tells us in verse 26, is to live on the earth, to inhabit the earth. And so the first purpose of people, of humankind, is that we would live on the earth, that we would inhabit the earth. And the second purpose found in verse 27 is that we would seek him. And so the purpose of man is that we would inhabit the earth and that we would seek God. Paul says God created us to seek him. He tells them as we live our lives, as we marvel at the wonder of creation, as we are astounded by the things of life, we know there is a God. Your poets write poems about it. Your poets write songs about it. We know there is a God, and his purpose is that we would seek him. Here's what I believe. You don't don't have to agree here, but here's what I believe. I don't believe that there are any true atheists. Let me, let me tell you why. I don't, I don't believe that. There's a lot of folks that say they're atheists. Hey, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. I don't really believe there are any true atheists. I believe there are people that are mad at God. I believe there are people that don't like the idea of God. I believe there are people that in pride won't submit to God. I believe there are people that in their selfishness themselves want to be God, and so all of those folks have to deny God. But I believe those folks in the very core of their being, no matter what they're saying with their mouth, they know there is a God. And I'll tell you what, when you find a person, they say, I don't believe in God. I can't submit to that idea. That's not intellectual. That doesn't make any sense. I'm not gonna lead my life according to such a myth. Listen, they know in their core there is a God. But in their pride, they're not willing to submit to him. God's purpose is that we would seek him. Now, I need to tell you this. I need you to know this. God's purpose is that we would seek him. And the Bible says, God says, if you seek God, truly, honestly seek God, he is not so deceptive as to hide himself. He is not so disingenuous as to cover himself. He is not so mean and hateful as to shield himself. The Bible says, God says, if we seek God, we shall find God. First Chronicles says that. Second Chronicles says that. Deuteronomy chapter four says that. Jeremiah chapter 29 says that. Proverbs chapter eight says that. If we will seek God with our heart, we will find God. Well, see here, we are purposed by God to seek God. And the truth is, if we will seek God, we will find God. That's what Paul Paul preaches, what a message that is. Verse 29, 
being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature, God, is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Imagine the crowd right here. Picture them right here. Surrounded by all these temples, surrounded by all these idols, all these statues, they hear Paul say this. They hear Paul preach this message. He is the living God. He's the creator and the giver of life and breath. As they hear Paul, they can look around from this stone hill and they can see the skyline that's dotted with these temples. They can see the statues. They can see all these idols. They can see their eyes that are chiseled out of stone as they're coldly peering down on them. And as they hear the message of Paul, don't you think as they look around their city, as they see the idols around them, they have to know the truth. Oh, how silly this is. Oh, how silly to worship the things that our own hands have made. Oh, how silly that we would worship the statues that we fashioned ourselves. Oh, how silly that we worship gold and silver and stone when there is a living God. Listen to me today, friend, today, how silly it is that we would worship the things of the world. How silly it is that we would worship the idols of the world. There's no hope there. And as we look around, it's just as silly. And so Paul proclaims the gospel. There is a God. He is creator. He has a plan. He wants us to seek him. He wants us to know him and have peace with him. Look at verses 30 and 31. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Verse 31. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him, the man, the judge from the dead. Here's the gospel. Here's what we see in this sermon. God is declaring to men. That's what Paul says. God is declaring to all people everywhere. That's what the verse says. All people everywhere. I want you to be sure it's not just for some folks. It's not for some people, but not other people. It's not for a select group of people. But he is declaring, Bible says, to all people that they should repent. To repent means to turn, to turn from your sin, to turn from the falsehood, to turn from the lies of the false gods. Then verse 31, he brings it to Jesus. He says, the man who will judge, is talking about Jesus in righteousness. The proof is that God raised him from the dead. And so listen today, friend, the message is that we turn from sin, we repent, the cause that all people would turn from the false and they would turn to the truth, the resurrected Savior, not some statue of stone that is unknown to men, the Savior that is alive and made known by God himself. Paul proclaims to them, Turn to Jesus. Get this. Today, the answer for the faults, 
is the truth. The answer for ignorance is the truth. And the God that was unknown to them can now be known today. He is our resurrected Savior Jesus. Listen, as he goes to the sermon, he says, I see that you're a religious people, but there's a God you know nothing about. Your own statue testifies to that. And he says, he is the creator God, and in him is life, in him is breath. All things are held together through him. In him we have redemption. He is resurrected from the grave, and it testifies to him. It is a sermon about Jesus. What a sermon, what a message. Verse 32. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. The word means actually twist up their face. They began to sneer. But others said, we shall hear you again concerning this. Some sneered. Some were uncertain. We'll hear you again. Tell us again. Verse 33. So Paul went out of their midst. Sermon preached. Christ upheld. Scripture defended. Jesus exalted. So Paul went out of their midst. What a sermon. Now here's the best part. Verse 34. But some men joined him and believed among whom were also Dionysus, the Argopite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. The greatest part of the whole camp, verse 34. Some men got saved and some women got saved. That's how this concludes. Dionysus, a man got saved. Demarius, a woman got saved. Some others with them. The Bible says that Paul stood up. The gospel was proclaimed. These people believed the gospel. Because they believed the gospel in the hearing of the gospel by faith, their sins are forgiven. Their guilt is removed. Their pardon is granted. Their lives are made new. Their future is restored. Their shame was hidden. Eternal life is received. And they are saved. Praise the Lord, they are saved. That's what happens when you preach the gospel. They were saved. They're saved. Good job, Paul. Do you know that's an ancient sermon? Do you know that's the same good news we have today? That's the same good news we have today. That's the same hope that we have today. By belief, by faith in Jesus Christ, just like these men and this women, we can be saved. It's the same good news. I want to tell you there's a Savior. He loves you. And I want to tell you that Savior's made a way for you as a sinner. And by faith in him, his finished work of the cross, his death as the payment for sin, his resurrection and victory. By faith in him, the Bible says, you shall be, will be, you are saved. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus, listen, it's an ancient sermon, but it's the same message. By faith in Jesus today, you will be saved. Ancient sermon, same message. Let's pray.
during Father, we come. We praise you today. We worship you. We thank you. Lord, I'm thankful that we can catch a glimpse of your hand at work in Athens. I'm thankful for these that are saved, these that are with Christ even now, Demarius, Deontes, these others that were with them. Lord, I'm thankful that there's hope for us the same as there was hope for them. Lord, I pray that today in the preaching of the gospel, if there's one here that doesn't know you, that today they would submit to you the God of life, the God that, that created all things, God that gives us our Savior, Jesus. Lord, I pray that any barrier would be broken down, any, any, anything that would hinder us from hearing would be broken down, removed. I pray today in the hearing of the gospel that somebody might be saved. Lord, I pray for us here that have trusted you, I pray that we would be urgent, that we have a message to declare, and it's, it's valid today. It's needed today. And I pray we'd be urgent in sharing that message. Help us as your church. And most of all, I, I stand at this pulpit, and I praise the Savior that came to save Jesus. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we worship you, we exalt you, we submit to you, we love you. And I pray in Jesus' name, Amen.